Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I'm Ash, and I really apologize that this is a little later than usual. I've got some chronic health issues, and they really flared up this week, so I got a little behind on the research. While recovering, I started binge-watching the first three episodes of Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon Prime, like, over and over again. So the plan for this episode also changed, because I really wanted to look into another set of badass female artists who were just before the time of music that Daisy Jones is set in. Let's just jump right in, shall we? It's the 1950s, and we're traveling back to Washington Heights in New York. This is a Manhattan neighborhood that was a complete melting pot of various nationalities during this period, but would predominantly be Latin American and African American in the next decade or two. Here we meet the family of the episode, the Bennett family. All the girls in the family were very musical from a young age. Veronica and Estelle were sisters of mixed heritage, with their mother being African American and Cherokee and their father being of Irish descent. Their cousin, Nidra Tali, shared their mother's heritage and had Puerto Rico roots as well. They also had a grandparent who was Chinese. The trio would get up with the other cousins and consistently put on performances for the whole family to the point that Estelle would be enrolled in a performing arts school so she could further her dreams. In 1957, Veronica, better known as Ronnie, decided to follow her favorite band and create her own band with her family members. Her, Estelle, and Nidra pulled in their other cousins to create a group of six, but the others soon dropped out as they didn't have the same interests as the trio. At this point, they were called Ronnie and the Relatives, and they did everything they could to get noticed. Soon, they met with a producer at Colpix Records named Stu Phillips. 
Their audition went well, and they were fast-tracked into a studio, where they recorded their first four songs. The two singles never made it to the billboards list, but fate stepped in as they found themselves in a small case of mistaken identity. The girls were headed into the Peppermint Club one night, dressed to look older than they were so they could go in and dance. One of the biggest dances of the time was The Twist, made famous with the cover song by Chubby Checkers. The Twist was meant to be the B-side of another record by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, but disc jockeys of the time kept finding themselves flipping to that side, and the song became an absolute sensation two years after its initial release. When the trio arrived to twist the night away, the manager mistook them as the dancers who were to perform behind the band for the evening. When the girls danced on stage, one of the members of the band handed the microphone to Ronnie, and they were given a job to dance the twist and sing a song nightly. They soon changed their group name to The Ronettes. The Ronettes continued to record songs while they worked at the Peppermint Club, but none of the singles would make it onto the charts. One day, the Peppermint Club sent them to their Florida branch of clubs, and they were noticed by other clubs who started hiring them as well. By the end of 1962, they transitioned from being backup singers and dancers to being the lead show. Their signature look slowly developed as they continually exaggerated their hair and makeup into a larger-than-life persona. Fed up with the lack of charts through Colpix Records, Estelle made a phone call to Phil Spector and asked for an audition with his record company. At first, Phil only wanted Ronnie as a solo act, but her mother fought for the other two girls to be included, giving Phil the ultimatum of all three girls or none of them. It was a rough start with Phil's records, as they traveled to California in order to record an album that Phil ended up refusing to release. They then recorded four cover songs, including The Twist, which ended up released on an album that was fully credited to another band, The Crystals. It wasn't until the summer of 1963 that they would find success under their own name with their first number one single, Be My Baby. Be My Baby is probably the number one song that anyone remembers the Ronettes for, as it is super catchy and had been used a lot in popular media, such as the opening sequence of Dirty Dancing. The song also influenced top songs from various artists, such as The Beatles and The Beach Boys. The drum phase has also been lifted and replanted into various popular songs today, including one of Lana Del Rey's songs. When released in August of 1963, Be My Baby peaked at top two on the Billboard 100 list. In fact, one very famous artist, who is still wowing the world today, had her first ever recording session with this song. Be My Baby includes a whole host of background singers behind the Ronettes, including Sonny Bono. One backup singer was a no-show to the recording, so they pulled in Sonny's girlfriend of the time, Cher. After recording this hit single, Cher became a regular backup singer for the Ronettes and for Phil Spector in general, with her last backup gig being You've Lost That Love and Feeling. The next song recording had a conflict of schedules which had a very interesting solution. The Ronettes were booked for Dick Clark's Caravan of Stars tour at the same time as the recording time in New York. Phil's solution was to send Estelle and Nidra on the tour with another of their cousins in Ronnie's place, while Ronnie, Cher, Sonny, and another backup singer would go do the recording of Baby I Love You. It only reached number 24 on the pop billboard list. At the end of 1963, Phil Spector put out a Christmas album with all of his artists doing singles as well as a group rendition of Silent Night. The Ronettes recorded three singles for the album, 
I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus, Frosty the Snowman, and Sleigh Ride. Unfortunately, the album ended up being released on the same day as JFK's assassination, and it didn't receive much attention until it was re-released in 1972 by Apple Records. 1964 saw the Ronettes making their UK tour debut and meetings that would change their lives forever. On the first day in the UK, they were at a party where they met the members of one of the biggest bands to ever grace our world, the Beatles. Ronnie pretty much immediately became really good friends with John Lennon, while her sister would actually go on to date George Harrison. The Beatles weren't headliners, though, in Ronnie's eyes. Opening for the girls on the tour was the newer UK band, the Rolling Stones. Keith Richards and Ronnie became so close that Richards even wrote about her later on with this to say about their relationship. The first time that I ever went to heaven was when I awoke with Ronnie Bennett asleep with a smile on her face. We were kids. It doesn't get much better than that. Soon, the British came to the Ronette stomping ground of America in what is known in cultural history as the British Invasion. Bands that were American struggled during this part of the 1960s to gain traction against their British counterparts, but the Ronettes were one of the few that could stand up there with them. They appeared on various television shows, gaining popularity, while other bands started to fade into obscurity. Walking in the Rain was recorded in the summer of 1964, and it became a massive success, though it was not as popular as Be My Baby. It did what all the other singles between Be My Baby and Walking in the Rain couldn't, breaking the top 24 Billboard charts. They then went on to record their first solo album, but Phil Spector made it less about the group and more about Ronnie, calling it Presenting the Fabulous Ronettes, featuring Veronica. After this, every single would specifically say that it featured Ronnie. Many of the songs that the Ronettes recorded were actually never released by Phil Spector. Many believe that this was because of his love of fame and of Ronnie. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The rumors that went around the unreleased songs was that Spectre feared that if they were all released, then he wouldn't be the popular one. The band would be. Soon, other female bands started to overtake the Ronettes in the battle of being the most famous female group, seemingly due to the lackluster singles that Spectre allowed to be released. One of these bands is my all-time favorite female group from the decade, the Shangri-Las. Perhaps an episode will be done about them one day, but today it's the Ronettes' turn to shine. Unfortunately, Estelle and Nidra were becoming unhappy with the life of being pushed into Ronnie's shadow. I don't feel like Ronnie ever did this on purpose. It seems that the industry decided that she was the quote-unquote star of the band, and so she was the one that was flown around as the lead, and the one that reporters and DJs wanted to interview. Ronnie herself even admits that she got different treatment from Phil and the studio because of his crush on her. This relationship was a very toxic one that even forced Ronnie to miss out on the opportunities that her sister and cousins got. In 1966, the Ronettes were invited to open for the Beatles on their tour across America, but Ronnie was forced by a jealous Phil to stay behind while Estelle and Nidra performed with their other cousin taking Ronnie's place. In 1967, the group went on a tour in Germany and decided to split. Nidra and Estelle married their boyfriends while Ronnie married Phil, becoming Ronnie Spector. Phil was a controlling husband to the point that it is rumored that he pretty much kept her prisoner in their 23-room mansion, only letting her go to the recording studio a few times. One of these sessions included a single with Jimi Hendrix called Earth Blues. Ronnie finally left Phil in 1972, with their divorce being finalized in 1974. Ronnie wanted to reband the group, but Nidra had no desire, and Estelle was battling severe mental health issues. She tried to replace her sister and cousin, but eventually went on to do a solo career instead. This isn't the end of the story, though. All I just told you is pretty much a general overview of their music history, but the Ronettes had an interesting personal life as well. Let's look at Ronnie first, since she's probably the most well-known. The relationship between Ronnie and Phil didn't start with their marriage. An affair started between the two of them pretty much from the moment Ronnie signed on to Phyllis Records, with her being none the wiser to the fact that it was indeed an affair. In fact, Ronnie was actually arrested by one of the hotel's house police for prostitution as she left the hotel room that they had booked one day. Luckily, she was allowed to phone Phil, who threatened the hotel until they let her go. Phil left his original marriage in 1965 and moved Ronnie into a Beverly Hills home. They adopted three children together. Ronnie wrote an autobiography where she detailed the abuse that she went through once she was married to Phil. In her own words, she described how he lined their property with barbed wire and guard dogs to keep her inside, getting to the point of taking away her shoes so she was less likely to try to leave. He is even said to have put a gold casket with a glass lid in their basement, using it as a threat that if she was ever to leave, he'd kill her and use it to display her body. In order to be allowed out of the house, she started to drink and attend Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Remember how I said that Ronnie left Phil in 1972? The way that she ended up having to do it was by breaking out of a window and running barefoot 
without any of her belongings and with the help of her mother. When she got divorced, she ended up signing pretty much everything to Phil, saying that he constantly threatened her with a gun and by hiring a hitman if she took anything, including the custody of the children. Phil is said to have hired lawyers to bar Ronnie from being allowed to sing any popular songs or take royalties from her work. In 1988, Ronnie finally filed a lawsuit to get back the $10 million that she was owed for her work that Phil kept away from her. It took a decade for the case to be heard and many appeals on Phil's end. Ronnie only got just over $1 million in royalty from the ordeal. Ronnie went on to marry her manager, Jonathan Greenfield, and they had two children together. In 1990, she released her biography that I mentioned before, and then an updated version of it was released in May of 2022, being completed just two months before Ronnie passed away from cancer in January of 2022. The original biography was considered as one of the greatest rock biographies of all times by the Rolling Stone magazine. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about Phil Spector here, because I'm sure a lot of people might doubt Ronnie's biography when she talks about the abuse that she went through with him. I believe her wholeheartedly, as in 2003, Phil killed Lana Clarkson, an actress, by shooting her directly in the mouth. She was found in his mansion, slumped over a chair, and then 911 call was made by Phil's driver, quoting Phil as saying, I think I killed someone. Phil would go on to say that he believed it was suicide. While on bail for the murder trial, Phil was still working in the studio, producing records like Crying for John Lennon by Hargo. The trial was televised in 2007, with a hung jury as the verdict. A retrial was scheduled for 2008, and in the meantime, Phil continued to work on songs like B-Boy Baby with artist Amy Winehouse. He also attended the funeral of Ike Turner, speaking poorly of Tina Turner's biography and depiction of Ike. The retrial was not televised like the original trial, and this time the jury came back with a guilty verdict. He was sentenced to 19 years to life and immediately taken into custody with various unsuccessful appeal attempts up until 2016. Two of the children from his marriage to Ronnie came out to say that they were basically held captive by their father and sexually molested by him and his girlfriend at the time, telling them that it was training for when they met somebody. Phil passed away in January of 2021, outside of the prison due to COVID-19 complications. It is suspected that he was already in poor health from the time that he was incarcerated. Not as much is known about Estelle's personal life as she struggled with mental health after the breakup of the band. She couldn't perform when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2007, but she did say a few words of thanks and then took the final bow with her sister and cousin. She passed away with colon cancer in 2009, and it was revealed that she battled anorexia and schizophrenia, as well as various bouts of homelessness for much of her later life. Nidra is officially the last surviving member of the Ronettes as of this recording. She has four children and has been working in real estate since 2007. The Ronettes may not be a top band that we think of when we look at pop music and rock and roll history but they certainly can be considered pioneers for both genres. While they looked and sounded pop to most, their unique style of the time was definitely a precursor to the heavy makeup and big hair that became quintessential rock and roll. 
In a way, I see a bit of Ronnie and Daisy Jones when I look at her character and the styling that they chose for her in upcoming episodes of the show. I hope that you all enjoyed this mini-sode with like a little romp down music history. Join us next week for some more little-known pieces of history. In the meantime, please don't forget to share, rate, and review on whatever platform you use to listen to us. You can also now check out the podcast on YouTube as another way of listening. If you want more in-depth episodes, then I must also direct you to our Buy Me A Coffee page, which is linked in the show notes and on our Instagram page. Any donations really help for getting more resources that cost a pretty penny to get a hold of. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time down this rabbit hole of history. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much, and see you next time on the lesser known side of history. <laughs>